Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what is vying for your attention right now? What is it that's trying to get your focus, grab a hold of you, and get you to pay attention? Maybe it's news. Maybe it's Fox News, maybe it's CNN, maybe it's whatever news outlet you like to turn to, where you're seeing stories of warfare and global conflict. You don't know what to think about it. Maybe it's acts of Congress, decisions that are being handed down and money that's being spent, your tax money being spent, the decisions that are being made. Maybe it's closer to home, Issues going on inside the house. Maybe it's video games that are getting your attention every day. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's problems that don't seem to go away. Problems of your health, problems of your soul. And all of these things and these voices are trying to get your attention like a Super Bowl ad. Like a Super Bowl ad that is trying to be the most extravagant, the funniest, the most expensive, the most clever to get your attention, even if it's just for a two-minute clip or a 10-second short. These are the things in the world that are trying to get our attention, and every one of these voices wants to have the last word before you go to bed at night. These are the things that want to be the last word on your mind before you sleep and let it all become part of your dreams. As we turn to the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is fully aware of all of the things trying to get your attention. He is fully aware of the arguments that the world is making for truth, for reality. He is fully aware of the problems that God's people are struggling through about having hope in the midst of a hopeless culture. Being uh, compromised in how we live out our faith in an uncompromising world. Struggling to pray. In all of these things, John is fully aware that we are distracted. And so the last word that God has in all the Holy Scriptures is to pay attention, to listen, to pay attention to what God is saying, what his spirit is trying to communicate. And because we have such short attention spans, Because we forget things so easily, he uses dramatic imagery. A lamb and a dragon facing off in mortal combat. And he uses such an image in order to get you caught up in a scenario that you would look at and say, this is hopeless. Why would I want to be on the side of a lamb standing against a dragon. But you have to listen. And only by listening to the word 
Will you know who has the final word? And so we see today as we introduce the book of Revelation that God has the final word, that Jesus Christ has the final word on everything. He has the final word on everything he said in the scriptures. He has the final word on everything he did through Jesus. And he has the final word on everything he is doing to you through his spirit. First of all, John bears witness It says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. It's not the revelation of us. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is to show us what's happening. What's happening in God's world and what's happening in our world and how those two things meet and intersect in our hearts. He bears witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John is bearing witness to the word of God, to the scriptures. Chapter 1, verse 8 says that the Lord is the Alpha and the Omega, which are the Greek letters of the alphabet. It would be like us saying he's the A and the Z. That the Lord God is the beginning and the end of everything. So he's going to have the first word, and he's going to have the last word. And when we look at the scriptures, we see that unfolds. Anytime you read a book, anytime you study for a test and read a research book, you're going to look at the author's message. You're going to want to know, well, what is the main thing the author is trying to communicate? And if you're like some of us, you don't necessarily want to read the whole book. You just want the gist of it. So what's the easiest way and the shortcut to get the sense of what an author is saying? Well, you read the first paragraph or the first chapter, and you read the last paragraph or the last chapter. If you want to get a sense of the message of Scripture, what's the first word, what's the last word? If you begin in the book of Genesis, the first word is the creation of a beautiful garden with a river flowing through it and a tree that gives life. And then you come to the last chapter, which is back to a garden. In Revelation 21 and 22, there is a garden with a river flowing through it and a tree that gives life. So we begin in a garden, we end in a garden. Well, what happens in the middle? What happens in between paradise and paradise? Well, that's the plot of the story. But we know where it starts. We know where it ends. And Revelation comes at the very end of all the books of the Bible. It was written by the Apostle John. Likely it was about 90 AD, which makes it the latest book of Scripture that was written. After all the books of the Old Testament, after the Apostles lived in the New Testament, it is said that John lived the longest, and he wrote the last scripture with his Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and finally the book of Revelation. He was writing this book because he's exiled, and he's on an island called Patmos. He's there because of persecution. He's there because he preaches the word. So if you look at John from the perspective of who's going to have the last word, 
John is the guy that got kicked out. John is the guy that the Roman Empire is saying is banished, imprisoned, has no more choices, no control over his life. How can he say anything meaningful? But that's the moment in which Christians say the most meaningful things is when, to all the world, it seems like hope is lost, like there's nothing left. And in order for John to have that confidence of what he can say when he's got everything else taken away from him and he's exiled on this island, he goes back to Scripture. And he doesn't just go back to a few passages. He goes back to the beginning. And in the book of Revelation, he unpacks the whole story of the Scriptures. Revelation is the final word on the word. And so we see in the book of Revelation, it's building on previous stories, themes, passages that have been established from the beginning of God's revelation to Moses. It's estimated by some that the book of Revelation has over 800 allusions to the Old Testament and the rest of Scripture. That's more quotes than any other book of the Bible of the Old Testament. In other words, John is saying that unless you have a familiarity with the rest of the Bible, unless you've read the Old Testament and you know the story of Moses and Israel and Isaiah and Babylon, you're going to miss out on a lot of the language he's using to communicate his vision. It's like a symphony. And a symphony will build on themes. It'll introduce a theme, and then later on in the musical piece, it'll return to that theme, and you'll hear it again, and you'll hear it again. And it's building on these themes in order to expand your way of meditating. John is building on themes. So when he introduces certain words, which we'll be looking at, words like Babylon, he's building on a theme of a city, a city whose centerpiece is a great tower, a towering temple, which was constructed by humans. And the centerpiece of the city is meant to show the strength, the ingenuity the accomplishment of human beings, how much they're capable of, that they can build something to reach even to the gods. But if you don't know what Babylon is, you won't quite see that illustration, and you won't quite see how the city that John is living in the midst of is doing the very same thing. As Rome exerts its influence on all the world, as it puts up its posters and its symbols, as it teaches people its culture and its language and its myths, it is building a city with a central piece that is meant to glorify humans, and at the top is Caesar. And if you don't understand that theme, you won't understand that we too are living in a city which is also, in many ways, trying to gain your attention and allegiance by drawing you to its centerpiece, by lifting up its symbols and its stories, by having magnificent shows 
and elaborate lies. So it can have your attention and allegiance. This is how John is building on the scriptures. He uses other images like the lamb, which is referring back to the sacrificial lamb, going all the way back to the story of Abel. It references someone coming on clouds, one like the Son of Man coming on clouds, referencing Daniel chapter 7. In verse 5 and 6, it says that he has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. And in just those few words, he's already encapsulated the whole story of Israel which began at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. And God said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. John is building on the scriptures. So Revelation is the final word, and I really would encourage you to come to Bible class and learn more about those themes and details that are coming out in the, from the Old Testament, and John is building on them in his Revelation. But it's also the final word on everything God has done. And that's why John says it's the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He not only says that he's exiled because of the word of God. No, that's not enough. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of different ways people can give witness to the scriptures. Not all witness is true. Not all witness is good. If you don't understand the central story, what the scriptures are trying to do, you won't understand what God is trying to do. And you can have all the pages of the Bible. You can know it all. You can memorize it all. You can listen to it every Sunday and read it at home. But if you don't get the testimony of Jesus Christ, all the rest falls apart. Which is what Jesus had to warn the Pharisees about. In John chapter 5... Jesus is in a dispute with the Pharisees. And he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But these are the words that bear witness of me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Now, the whole debate that sparked these words from Jesus is a man at a pool who is paralyzed. And Jesus comes to this man and he tells him to pick up his bed, which is just a foldable cot, a mat that he'd roll up and walk. Now, this man hadn't walked his whole life and Jesus says, just pick it up and walk. And the man is healed. And the religious leaders know that this has happened because, of course, they've seen the man. They know the city. And they see this man carrying his mat, and they say, Who told you you could carry your mat on the Sabbath? Now, they don't have anything to say about the miracle. They don't have anything to say about the joy of seeing someone paralyzed walk again. They only have investigation and questions. When they come to Jesus, asking him if this was, this was his doing, 
he begins talking about testimony. He begins talking about how his testimony they'll never accept. They'll never accept the truth. They can search the scriptures till they're blue in the face. They can know the Old Testament inside and out, which they did. They had all of the laws of Moses memorized from their youth. And yet he says they don't know God. Because the book of Revelation is supposed to show us that it's not just about decoding some kind of message. It's not just about getting the meaning of this word or that word. It's the revelation of Jesus. And what will truly lead the Christians that John is writing to into a place of hope in the midst of persecution is going to be the testimony of the gospel. How Jesus makes sense of the whole story. And yet Jesus says they refuse to come to him to have life. And so John says only the lamb can unseal the scroll. In Revelation chapter 5, the centerpiece of the all worship in heaven is, is focused in on the central place where John sees a scroll. It's been bound up. And he says nobody can unseal it and nobody can interpret the words. Nobody knows what it means in heaven or and on earth. And John begins to weep. Why is he weeping? Imagine what it would be like to open up your Bible and you couldn't read a word of it. That it didn't say anything to you or anything about you. That all it did was condemn you and tell you to do things that you know you haven't done right. Or if it was just a code that only religious experts and scholars could decode and make sense of, that the book of Revelation is only for a select few who are experts and studied it their whole life. No, he says, the one who will unseal the scroll is standing right in front of him. And John looks and he sees and there's a lamb standing there. A lamb. Not a lion, not a dragon, but a lamb. A lamb who is slain but who now lives. These are symbols that you can make sense of. This is a message for you. And even if you never make sense of the locusts, the bulls of wrath, or the thousand years, even if you never know how to tell somebody that there's not going to be a rapture, sorry, to disappoint you, Or what's going to be the outcome of wars in the Middle East? This is what you need to know. The centerpiece of our worship and our witness in the world is Jesus. The Lamb who was slain for our sins, who has risen from the dead, and now is being worshipped. Right here. The reason we're here is to worship the Lamb, and he has the final word on everything. But the only way that final word can make sense to you is our last point. The final word on everything God wants you to see. This is about seeing. Seeing is one of the most popular words John uses. 
in the book of Revelation. And what allows you to see is the spirit. One pastor said that few writings in all of literature have been so obsessively read with such generally disastrous results as the book of Revelation. It's a history of interpretation is largely a story of tragic misunderstanding resulting from a fundamental misapprehension of the work's literary form and purpose. So another writer said, Revelation is unique in the Bible in that it appeals primarily to our imagination. It does appeal to our imagination. And you can see how the imagination can go in all sorts of different directions with what it's reading, what it's considering, how it's interpreting it. And so he says, no, not a freewheeling imagination, but a disciplined imagination. What is a disciplined imagination? John says in the opening words, he says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. He says three things that bring us blessing. Reading it out loud, listening to it, and treasuring it. And the first one is to read it out loud. Now what John is saying here specifically, it doesn't come through in every translation, is to read it publicly. He uses a word that indicates a public reading in the church. Why is it so important that John has his letter read in the church? He writes to seven churches. We learned about Ephesus last Wednesday. Next Wednesday series is going to be Smyrna. And each Wednesday we're going to look at one of those seven churches. And he wants to be sure that these churches are reading it out loud. Because how does Satan find his way in? to cause damage to the church and to Christians. His most subtle attack is to privately subvert the word, which is to say that the Reformation, while it was one of the greatest blessings God gave to the church, it's also one of the most dangerous blessings. Because Martin Luther put the Bible into every person's common language and home. And because of the Reformation now, we all have Bibles. In fact, we have so many Bibles that we don't even know what to do with them anymore. I have so many Bibles in my office. There's a day in the church when people would have come waiting in line at the door to just get one of those Bibles. It would have cost thousands and thousands of dollars. The problem is not that we don't have enough of the word but that everyone has their own word. In the last chapter of Revelation, it says specifically not to add to these things and not to take away from them. Now, how can a church be sure that it's not adding to them or taking away from them? Because if you add to them, God says he'll add to the plagues that he's spoke of in this book, and if you take away, it says they'll take your name out of the book of life. Well, in order to not take away from this word, we need to read it. That's why we're reading it here in church. That's why we're doing it in Bible class. That's why we're doing it Wednesday night. 
That's why I'm doing this series. If it were up to me, I would have never done this series. I would have never done it because there's too many questions I have, too many uncertainties, too many things that I can't control. And as a pastor, you much prefer to have messages that you can control. Because as soon as you unleash this thing, I mean, the spirit's a wild animal. But that's not wild in the sense of freewheeling. It's wild in the sense of opening up our church to something bigger. And in order to avoid the pitfalls that others have taken, he wants us to do it together. Not just the pastor studying this. Not just you in your homes behind closed doors coming up with different ideas and interpretations, but discussing it together. Reading it out loud as a community. Which is why I can't emphasize enough. Come to Bible class. Bible class is the place where we unpack the deeper discussion of what all of these words mean for our church in our individual lives. You have got to be in Bible class. There's no choice. There's no option about it. It is part of your discipleship. Unless health reasons are preventing you, I understand that. But short of health reasons, if it's just a matter of getting up earlier, you can do it. Because God says to listen. And this is why a disciplined imagination will mean that you're submissive, that your heart is not trying to assert your own ideas. It's the reason why the pastor, when I come here, I don't just print out my sermon here. I could pass it out right now, but why do I need to preach it at all? Why do we preach the word and not just read the word? It's because you have to learn to listen. And in the act of a pastor delivering something personal and you listening personally, your heart is affected by the Spirit. It's not enough to just read it one time. He finally says to keep it, which is the discipline of treasuring the Word, meditating on the Word, not just listening to this one time. If you went into the book of Revelation sometime earlier in your life and you got scared, or you heard somebody interpret something that you said, I don't know how to refute that. It just sounds crazy, so I'm going to stay away from this book altogether. That's not the way it was meant to be dealt with. When he says, keep the word, keep this testimony, he means meditate on it. That means returning to it again and again your whole life. Maybe you've been through a series on Revelation not since I was here, but maybe 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. You come back to it again, you come back to it again, and every time in that meditation, God's going to keep teaching you something new. And he's going to reinforce the things that you already know are true. In chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I am knocking. So lastly, this is the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus is knocking. He says, I'm knocking, and anyone who opens the door, I will come in, and I will have dinner with you. Does that sound scary? That is the greatest invitation 
we could ever receive. And he's inviting himself into your home, into your heart. There are so many things vying for your attention right now. Trying to get your focus, trying to get you distracted. As I heard it said, the problem with so many people in the book of Revelation is they're trying to plant an acorn in a terrarium. They're trying to plant an oak tree in a little box. The book of Revelation and the poetry that it's evoking are too big for a small terrarium. Which is why God wants his final word to be revisited again and again as he communicates it not through doctrinal statements, not through laws and commands, but through poetry. I want to send you home with that thought. Why would God end the last book of the Bible and tell you his final word on what he wants you to think for the rest of your life and eternity through poetry? And John said, I heard a voice like a trumpet, and I turned to see the voice. As one poet said, anything can make us look, but only art can make us see. Amen.